Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 237. Two hosts for you today. Two hosts, no waiting. So I'm Tom Maluli, and with me is Brendan Maluli, and we're here ready to tackle the most important financial concepts of the day. So Brendan, a lot of volatility going on. Yeah, December in the market. has been crazy, right? Yeah. Maybe, you know, we may be headed towards one of the worst uh, fourth quarters ever. And maybe, I don't know about December, but I think we might be on the list for that too, in terms of performance. I, we have, uh, we're recording this on December 26th. So there's still a couple of days left in the month. So it's possible that we may recover a little bit, but so far it's been uh, the worst December on record yeah. since the, wh- the depression. Or whether Whether we're going to be historically bad or just plain old bad. It, it hasn't been a good month. Just on an offshoot of that, um, when the depression was going on, did people know it was a depression? Oh, man. I but mean, they quickly you know. named the, the recession that we had in 2008 the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it being great. I just wonder if people, they just said, this is life the way it is. Later on, the next generation called it the Great Depression. Yeah. Uh, interesting to think about it that way. Yeah. I don't think we generally have have names for for things in the moment right it's mostly just a a tool to help us throw a blanket over a period of time that had similar things occurring throughout it i suppose same thing like world war one i mean they called it a world war but they didn't call it world war one because they didn't know it would be a world war two yeah yeah was it the war to end all wars i think so great war right this is totally unrelated and we're already way off the the agenda we're we're meandering it's all right we'll get there I thought one of the smartest things that they could have done when they came out with it, was it Quentin Tarantino who came out with Kill Bill? The title of the movie was Kill Bill Volume 2. Like they went straight to Volume 2. Like, okay, now we can do a Volume 1. We can do a Volume 3. So uh, I thought that was good marketing, Volume 2. Would have been would have been embarrassing though if the film tanked because then they never would have gotten to uh, fill in the blanks like that. Yeah, Kill Bill Volume 1. Nah, no thanks. Yeah. The second one wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you had some interesting bits from uh, Charlie Bellello, yeah. friend of the friend of the podcast. So, he Charlie looked at a handful of ETFs. I think there are about 10 to 12 on this list, but more or less comprising uh all the different asset classes that you could potentially invest in. So, we have things like U.S. uh, large and small caps, emerging markets, uh, developed markets, preferred stocks, high-yield bonds, investment-grade bonds, treasuries, long-duration tips, aggregate bond, REITs, gold, commodities. So, like, you know, pretty much covering all of your bases here in terms of how you could put your money to work. Different ways to play, different styles of investing. Yeah, they're they're all on here. And if you look at uh, the 2018 year-to-date returns, uh, the only one that is positive, uh, this was as of the 19th, uh, so last week, but uh, the only one that's positive is uh, treasury bills. So super short-term, high-quality government bonds. Now, I'm I'm curious, we don't have the data, but I'm curious if we were to go back exactly one year from today, go back to the end of December 2017, I think all of these areas would be positive instead of now they're all negative. And I would bet most prognosticators would would tell you 2018 is going to be a similarly good year for this style 
approach. If you're in small caps, great. Guess what? We're predicting another good year for small caps, mid caps, REITs, utilities. Well, especially coming off of, and, and we actually do, uh, Charlie, you know, goes back a decade in this chart ju- just to give you some historical perspective because 2018 is uh, very unique. This is the first time in, in a very long time uh, that only one asset class would be positive. Even 2008 had more asset classes positive than this. That's right. But to your point, uh, 2016 and 2017, uh, everything on this list was positive. Right. And so you, that was the type of market environment for two years, essentially, where you could have been in anything, investing any way you wanted, and it would have seemed like it was fine. You didn't have to give it much thought. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of ways to lose money in 2016 or 2017. Now, I'm going to hit the pause button on this because 2016 didn't really start out very nicely. No, we had like a 10, 15% drawdown to begin the year. I think a lot of people forget that. Mm-hmm. I know that on February 11th of that year, we were down, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we were down like 12 or 15%. Like by oh, yeah, that S&P. point. Yeah. yeah, it was it was about that. Yeah, right. And uh, we managed to finish the year in okay position. So these markets do recover and they can recover quickly. Just going by the S&P, which is what, what you were quoting uh, from February through the end of the year, it pretty much round tripped. So if it, if it was, let's say it was down 12%, it finished up 12%. Right. So it went 24% round trip and, and even more at some of these more volatile asset classes like... Uh, you know, emerging markets and small caps were probably in bear markets at that point. In at the beginning of 2016, they were, uh, and both but, of them finished up gangbusters even more than the S and P 500. Right. So obviously, doesn't always work out this way, but more risk, more reward there, at least you know, in that one year window. But um, I, I'm going to deviate from this for a second, just to remind listeners that. Uh, You know, right now, today, as we're recording this, the market's up like 2%. Even though on Monday we hit down 20%, we have to remember our our mile markers, where we are. And so we're down 20% from the top of the market. But for the year, S&P on Monday was down what for the year? Maybe Uh, 12. So we may finish a year where we're down 10%. And... (laughs) Honestly, there's been conversations that we've had over the years where clients call and say in January or February, hey, I see that the market did this, but we did that. Why were we so much worse than the rest of the market? And so right now the headline is, hey, we're in a bear market and we're down 20% from the high. But the market may finish the year in the next few days down 10%. And so we're going to have some conversations with investors who say, the market lost 10%, but I lost 20%. Why? And so I think it's important to keep everything in perspective in terms of where you're measuring. Are you measuring from the top of the market? Are you measuring year to date? It's important because I think a lot of people confuse these. And again, I know we're getting away from what we wanted to talk about, but I think this is an important topic. Uh, because it, I think this is stuff that gets lost in the sauce. So yeah, we were at one point, the market was up 10% this year. Now we're down 10% this year. So there's a 20% spread between top and bottom. But for the year, the market may only be down 10%. Yeah, it's important to know how you're measuring stuff. Is it like you said, is it year to date? Is it from the highs? Is it uh, rolling one year, three year, five year? 
humans being humans will say when the market's down or when an investment's down, they're going to measure it from the tippy top. Right. I remember when this stock was $500 a share and now it's down mm -hmm. 20%. What they don't say is, hey, from a year ago, it was here. We went up, we went down, now we're here. Hard to keep everything in perspective. You know, nobody likes losing money in the market, but all said, we were at these levels on the S&P 500 and the Dow at some point in 2017. Yes. Probably summer, fall of, of those years. Um, is it great to be back at those levels? No. Is it a catastrophe? Probably not. Right. You know, assuming that you had a plan in place and that you were invested appropriately. If, if you build a financial plan that assumes that this is never going to occur, then yeah, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And You'll you're be disappointed. Be but yeah. I know just from what we're doing, we're building plans that assume a rate of return, obviously. And within that rate of return, you do something called the, the Monte Carlo simulation where you assume that, hey, there's going to be a year in there where maybe you know we lose 10% on the year, like like what you were discussing, or we, we endure a 20% drawdown uh, on the market. And that doesn't mean the same for your account necessarily, but that's just to say you, you should be baking in years like this uh, to your plans because they are going to occur. And if you're not, then you're going to be in trouble. If you're, if you're assuming that you're never going to have stuff like this happen. Never going to have a year with losses. Uh, yeah. Then, man, I mean... I'd love to build. I'd love to build plans like that because uh, it would be really simple. We're we're never going to lose money, and uh, right. and everything will be great. And you can withdraw as much as you want forever. It yeah. just you know it doesn't occur that it just way. Doesn't it's work reality. that way. Yeah. So I mean, this this basically the way Charlie lays this out is a way that we like to look at these asset class returns. Um, and Brendan, you've brought the quilt yeah that's, into some client meetings. So I'd like you to just. Expand on that a little bit yeah. for our listeners. You know, this one's a little more in-depth than, than some other versions, but many times uh, around around this time of the year, people will update these. Uh, basically, it's a matrix, and it'll show you on one end uh, the calendar year. On the other end, it'll show you different asset classes that you could have invested in and what their returns were, and it'll color code each of them. So, you know, REITs will be yellow, and large-cap stocks will be red, and bonds will be green or whatnot, and then... Each year, it'll update the order to show you uh, which was first, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way down the list. And when you put them in color like that, you can see that it looks like a quilt, uh, meaning that there's not a pattern. This is just this is just a random thing. Sometimes something is the best performing asset class for a year or two in a row. Uh, sometimes it goes from being the worst to being the best or from being the best to being the worst. I think you can look at these uh, quilts and interpret them in, in different ways. Uh, one that I think you should not do is to look at them and say, ah, yes, here's, here's the, uh, top one or two asset. This is where we should have been, uh, last year. That's almost always a recipe for disappointment. Yeah. I think I've actually seen somebody run the numbers where you, uh, if you bought the last year's best performing asset class or people will do this with in different investment styles sometimes you're often setting yourself up to just lag because you're right. chasing performance the way that we bring this into conversations with clients is that the quilt shows us why we need to have some semblance of diversification uh, in our accounts because we cannot predict 
whether small caps are going to be better than developed market stocks or U.S. large caps or bonds or you're like this year where nothing short, works. Short term right. bonds are are the you know the only thing that makes any money. And and Charlie kind of touches on that too. And and you know he follows up his chart with this part of his article that says you know you'll hear many opportunists today suggesting that 2018 proves that diversification doesn't work. Ignore these people at all costs. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. I don't think that that uh, a year. I don't think that a year like this year where pretty much nothing makes money proves anything about diversification other than that you should practice it. And, you know, uh, I think somebody who's making withdrawals from their account living off their money already probably has some money in something like short-term bonds. And that's hopefully what they're going to be living on for the next few years. And but we follow the same practice here at the firm in terms of this quilt approach. We look at it to tell us why we need to diversify the account across some of these different styles of investment or asset classes. And we've shown this to clients that we lay out the quilt in front of them and we show them, hey, this year, small, you know, in one particular year, small caps did well and then international did well and then large caps came out of nowhere to carry the flag. Tell us which one of these groups is going to be number one next year because we don't know. They don't know either. And so that's why we need to own, have assets spread across these groups. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, de- the degree to which you do that is going to be determined by client situation and the, and the plan that you know, we're putting together for them. But yeah, I think uh, anyone who tells you they can look at an asset class quilt and then uh, predict next, next year's performance, I mean, if they happen to do it uh, for a year... You know, I would say the results are luck. I I would love to meet somebody who does this each and every year and has documentation for their uh, their track record for you know predicting the future. Because I think most people would just say this year is gonna you know next year is gonna be the same as this year, and then when it isn't, it's oh yeah. well. You know, easier to make predictions, a little harder to tell the truth and say don't we, know. we don't know. But you know we exist in a world where people who understand the truth know that they don't know and still have to come up with plans about how they're going to invest their money in a world where we cannot predict the future. And I think this is probably one of the more logical ways to approach that. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. I agree. Now, Ben Carlson did some work on bad quarters. Yeah, so this ties in kind of to where we started the conversation with December and just the fourth quarter in general being kind of crummy uh, in terms of what's gone on in the market. Uh, And Ben looked at quarterly returns since 1926, and that gave him 370 uh, quarters of data to look at. The fourth quarter of 2018 uh, made the list in terms of worst quarters uh, so far, but it's not at the top. And in fact, 
you know, some of the worst uh, were nearly double what we'd, we've experienced, which is pretty wild. There's a lot from the Great Depression mm-hmm. that are in there, some 1929, 31, 32. I mean, right. those, you look at those markets and you realize, okay, you take a year like, a, you know, in 1929 where, you know, the market was down 25 or, or so percent. Then you follow it up a year or two later with another 30% drop followed by another 30% drop. It's hard to believe that you can have those kind of numbers doing some negative compounding for you. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. The thing to keep in mind, I think, is that you can make a case that in the 20s, 30s, that America was still like what we may consider today an emerging market. Sure. I mean, um, we were only uh, 50 years from the Civil War. Hawaii so, and Alaska weren't even states. And you do see quarters like this when you're investing. I mean, especially this is looking at just the U.S. So try to think of uh, not not emerging markets broadly, but maybe just like one sing, single emerging market, like yeah. one one country. And I'm almost certain you would see quarters like this, uh, like, like the, what the Great Depression had uh, here. It's tough to remember that when we think of the United States because... You know, today, uh, U.S. markets make up about 40, 45 percent of global market cap. So we're used to thinking of this behemoth that has, right. you know, the biggest and the most efficient markets in the world when that wasn't always the case. Definitely not. I mean, just to take those numbers that we just cited into perspective, if you started with, you know, there's a lot of these things that we see online. Uh, we follow a lot of the same people on Twitter that tweet out these things. If you invested $10,000 in fill in the blank, you'd have, you know, a bazillion dollars. But if you invested $10,000 into the Dow Jones in 1929, your 10,000 would become Mm 7,500. I don't know what it did in 1930, but let's just say it did nothing. Okay. Your 7,500 in 1931 became 5,000. And then your five thousand in nineteen thirty two became thirty seven hundred dollars. You've lost two thirds of your money. How does anybody stay in an in a, an investment strategy long enough to even get back to even? What happened during that period kept generations away from investing in stocks. Right. So yeah, I mean, I grew up in it a. It wasn't really until almost the fifties when. Yeah. Things started to really improve. I mean, you had uh, World War II going on, and right. that consumed a lot of the 40s, and uh, markets weren't very good immediately following that either. No. Back to what uh, Ben was talking about here with, with these quarterly uh, declines, he, he looked at these worst quarters uh, of all time and then uh, juxtaposed them with forward performance from these terrible quarters. So these are, I think, the worst 10 uh, in history for the S&P 500 that he looked at. And he looked then at what they what the market did uh, one year out, three years out, five years out. So the average return one year out from these really bad quarters, which range from down 37% to down 17%. So just, you know, by any standards, all of these were really tough to deal with. Right. Uh, one year out from these quarters, the average performance was up 25%. Three years out, it was up 38%, and five years out, up 91%. Pretty good numbers. You know, obviously doesn't doesn't speak to um, the pain felt, you know, while they were occurring, but I think it does uh, put things in perspective uh, in the sense that, you know, more often than not, 
performance is is going to be getting better in terms of what you should expect in the future when things are getting worse in the present. So for folks that are listening uh, to this podcast and they contribute to a retirement plan at work, the best advice we can tell you is continue to contribute to your retirement plan. We do get calls from people when the markets are down like this saying, I think I should have all my contributions going into the money market or into you know some kind of stable value option that they have in their plan. That may be That's a really bad idea. A really bad suggestion yeah. uh, or or idea because you are getting some of these investments at a terrific bargain. Don't think that that can be stated enough, especially considering if you make that decision, I think it, it starts to become like a an addiction or a security blanket. It's like you're just building up this big money market or stable value or you know, short-term bond fund position, and then you have to time the market. Right. So instead of just having a, a systematic plan that's going to do it for you and keep you on track, maybe you've accumulated an entire year of contributions in the money market now. Now you have to decide how to handle a lump sum of money like that. And I think that has much more regret associated with it than than just systematically buying. And it can, it can definitely feel in the interim like you're throwing good money after bad, but that is certainly not what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're averaging into these investments, and like you said, you're buying them at lower prices, which is in the net going to help your, your returns in the future when sure. these investments eventually do recover. Yeah. Important to remember if you're investing for retirement. So that's going to wrap up episode number 237, Thanks, Brendan, for being prepared and coming to this with some great information that we can pass along to our listeners. And we look forward to catching up with you in episode number 238.